0: Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel, And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10 season show. Today, we're talking about season five, episode 17, Sweating It Out.
1: Mary, what happened this week? Steve insists that the new pee pad is a disaster waiting to happen and that everything is going to suck without his involvement. Nat says everything's great. Claire thinks Rush is a hoot, fun, and professional. Also, he has stories about titties, presidents, and nuns in the same place at the same time. Muntz tells all the keg guys it would break Steve's little heart if they went to the pee pad, so they all go to the pee pad. Steve tells Muntz to go ahead and go too. Rush stops by to talk to Steve for a second and apologizes. He didn't mean to make Steve feel cut out of his own project. He insists the deal Steve got was the best he could negotiate with the Stones and their lawyer. Rush isn't really anybody to those rich jerks. Also, he doubts the court will be at the club checking IDs, so come hang out. They hug because dads and sons. They have the weirdest relationship.
0: It's very weird because Steve spends the majority of the episode just absolutely disgusted by him. Yeah, and then he just, like,
2: literally the last episode, or two episodes ago, I guess it was was where Steve got this really bad deal, right? Mm -hmm. And Rush was just like, oh, yeah, you totally stole the key. Like, next time you need something, call your mother. Uh." And then just like shows up later still involved in the pee pad and is just like, sorry, I hurt your feelings by staying involved in the pee pad.
0: Yeah, and it's like he goes from accusing him outright of doing the bad thing and then here it being like, well, it's not that, it's just the best I could do. So it's like, which is it? Do you believe he was wrong or was this just part of the negotiating? I yeah. He's yeah. he's an enigma and I don't blame Steve. I don't blame Steve for a couple of reasons because like I heard a really great thing on a on a podcast today, on another podcast today, about Teen T V and about how you can't take an episode where you're trying to almost like Um, age down a character like make them feel like a kid and Mm -hmm. then immediately follow it up by doing something that's very adult it just makes it very inauthentic so to me steve turns into that little boy when he's around his dad but then when he's not he's like going around like talking about you know how he hates his dad, and he would do such a better job running the pee pad and giving Donna advice on how to uh, talk to Ray and get him to get over stage. For, like he, he's in this weird juxtaposition of like Rush being his daddy and not a business partner. You know what I mean? It's like Steve can't figure out how to be an adult son. He only knows how to be a baby son. Rush just needs to figure out how to be a business daddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then Steve can be a business adult son, not a business baby son. <laughs> I mean, I
2: guess if you think about it, like, I I feel like the way the show originally told us that Rush was going to be and then the Rush we ended up getting also kind of feels very inauthentic. Like, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around this idea that, like, high school Steve said that Rush was not involved in his life, like had another family, moved on, didn't care about him, and then he keeps showing up and Steve being mm-hmm. like, he doesn't care about me, whatever, and then Rush like repeatedly cares about him. Like Then it makes Steve seem really inauthentic.
0: Yeah. Or like we're led to believe that Steve has been lying to us or something. Yeah. It's, it's a very weird one. Like – I guess we can
2: go ahead and kind of like start it from the beginning with Steve. I feel like there's not that much to talk about with him, Mm -hmm. but it begins with this like kind of voiceover for him where he's talking to months who looked adorable in his overalls and I loved them so much. (laughs) But it's like, yeah, all this voiceover about how Claire and David aren't prepared for anything that's happening with the pee pad. He feels sorry for his dad or he would feel sorry for his dad if Rush wasn't the worst. And he's like, oh yeah, he must have sunk at least two bills into this place.
0: Mm-hmm. Which how much is a bill? I would imagine it's a thousand dollars. That's not that much money. I know. Like I because <laughs> I'm thinking, like, if he says two bills, what is the highest form of a bill? I guess. I thought it was.
2: Like a bill was $100 and I was like, is he saying that his dad put
0: $200 into the fee pad? He sunk, sunk to (laughs) hundo. Like that can't
2: be right, but I Googled it and a hundred is what came up for me. And, you know, I think we have proven in the past that I am not good at Googling, (laughs) but like that's, that's not right.
0: There's no way that that is right. I would think two Gs just simply due to all the, like, repairs and installation and things like that they had to do. Mm-hmm. I don't remember but how anyway. much
2: – How much did Dylan have to invest? Do you remember? I want to
0: say there was a seven in the number.
2: Same. But that's all I got.
0: <laughs> or 500 like, Gs. That can't be right. 50 no, Gs? No,
2: that's too much. Seven Five G's, dollars. Seven Gs. <laughs> This this feels very uh, Arrested Development. Like, what could a nightclub cost, Michael? Five dollars?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Truth is, we don't know. We could go back and look, um, but I'm not gonna. Yeah, there's there's a lot of money being put into this rug store that is being turned into a nightclub, an all ages nightclub.
2: <laughs> yeah, and Claire comes from the rug store to the pee pad to tell Steve that his dad is a hoot, which is also a thing that has happened repeatedly and then steve keeps like being the character that tells us like no that's not true that's not who my dad is
0: yeah so it makes you wonder if who is going to be quote-unquote right um you know is it going to be claire and david and donna and all the folks who are being like the wool is being pulled over their eyes by rush or is it going to be uh rush who's actually changing Right. Like because mm-hmm. like you said, it seems really inauthentic right now for him to be acting the way that he is for the most part when all we've known him to be is not that great of a dad. So. Where's the truth? Right, because like, yeah, he
2: th- we see him again in a scene where he's eating dinner with Claire and David and presumably Ray and Donna, but they've gone off to have an argument about something else we'll talk about later. And then it actually gets to opening night and Steve is still really upset about everything. And Munce is like, oh, yeah, I told all the guys to not go, but they all went anyway, which is just further proof that Steve needs to
0: leave Keg. Oh, yeah. If his friends aren't even going to support him, it's like Munce was like, yeah, I'll support you. I don't really want to, but I will. And then as soon as he got permission not to, he bailed. Like, I'm sorry, but if that happened to me, like if either one of you ever did that to me, I would be so pissed, (laughs) right? And
2: like, yeah, all of Steve's friends are gone. They're either at the pee pad or like, you know, off at a sweat lodge. Like he's (laughs) just sitting all by himself at the keg house. Which yeah, he's like playing pool by himself. Ugh, that's so depressing. I know. But then Rush shows up to apologize to Steve. They have a whole conversation about Steve's legal troubles. And then, yeah, Rush tries to do this, like, cool dad thing of, like, well, the cops aren't going to be there and they won't know that you're not supposed to be there.
0: And, like, I get the point. Yeah, cool dad. Let me let you back in. I never wanted to cut you out of the picture. Like, all this kind of stuff. But for me, this just adds to the entitlement that is Steve Sanders, right? Like, Rush is saying, I don't think anyone's going to be there to check your ID. So as long as no one's there to check it, you're not doing anything wrong.
2: Yeah, no, this is totally, like, this is very much Steve and Rush showing -hmm. their white privilege again to be like, we can just break the law. It'll be fine. No one's going to be there i like, yeah, what if they do show up? Because they have had the cops – well, technically, I think it was the fire marshal show up and shut them down. But, like, they have gotten in trouble before.
0: Right. And it's kind of that thing of where who's going to be – um, what's that phrase? Who's going to be on the hook for the pee pad, right? Because I think – it seems as though Rush is the and I say adult, they are all adults at this point, but like he's the guy with the most investment, right? He's literally put forth two bills, whatever that may be, two dollars, <laughs> two thousand, twenty thousand, not sure. Uh, but he's put forth the financial investment, but then it's kind of been Nat and then Claire David Donna who have been like spearheading this whole thing. So you have to wonder who's on the hook, but it's possible that a kid there, doesn't know any of that and knows that steve was in charge when this thing first happened right because steve like even in the beginning steve's like i you know this wouldn't exist without me and you Mm -hmm. know that boy runs his mouth like when he does something like he's proud of he tells everybody everybody knows so i just have to think that maybe that's a uh well it would have been a cool plot point not cool because like i don't want to see steve get in trouble obviously but like It would have been an interesting plot point to see this take place earlier in the episode so that when they actually get to the pee pad, Steve gets in trouble and, you know, a cop shows up and they ask one of the kids and it's like, Steve Sanders, and then he's in trouble again. But at the same time, Steve getting in trouble has kind of been played out. So,
2: Right. I actually can't decide how I like, which I would rather this happen is Steve get in trouble again, which we've seen repeatedly and like how much more are they going to throw the book at him when he's a main cast member? Like he still Mm -hmm. has to be on the show. Right. Or he doesn't get in trouble. And everything that we've seen over the past couple of episodes with the house fire and then the like hearing and all that stuff is just
0: nothing. And I don't know that I could handle another nothing storyline. It's just so frustrating. Like,
2: Why would you even do that? At least, like, keep him on the out a little bit longer. But, like, yeah, maybe make some of his friends stay. Like, maybe if months leaves, like, his dad comes by and doesn't take him to the pee pad. But then they stay and play pool together and, like, build their relationship. Right. But that doesn't happen. And they go to the pee pad. And we actually don't even get to see anybody go to the pee pad, which is incredibly frustrating. I guess they cut it out. (laughs) Ugh. Well, Mary, what else happened this week?
1: Donna is still pushing Ray into performing at the P-Pad opening night, but he doesn't want to. His songs need more work, his bass player sucks, and he has stage fright. Donna asks Steve how he helped David through his stage fright once. Steve admits he threatened to break David's fingers. Not quite what Donna needs, but Steve has one more little nugget of advice. Vince Lombardi. David and Claire don't find it reassuring when they walk in on Donna's pep talk practice. She assures them it's all fine. She prepares and gives Ray a very confusing football-themed pep talk, the results of which we will never see.
2: <laughs> I'm honestly a little surprised that, A, Donna knew who Vince Lombardi was,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and B, that she was able to like collect videotapes of Vince Lombardi hype
0: speeches
2: to view like how would
0: you even get that I know there was no YouTube and like is there just a compilation of Vince Lombardi pep talks and halftime speeches and post game like
1: I don't know way there's There's no way no
0: way
2: yeah I mean seriously I cannot get over this is so much coyote ugly like yeah. instead and, yeah. of instead of giving like a football pep talk what's the face from coyote ugly puts together a fake crowd that she can practice singing in front of and cuts the lights but like he's the one that pushes her to finally do it and Donna's is the one that pushes ray to finally perform at a nightclub even though he's been performing in front of people
0: which and i thought about this like while i was watching the episode and I was a little surprised that Ray ended up like agreeing finally to do this because, you know, last episode we were just really curious what in the world was causing Ray to not want to do this. Like, I totally understand if he just was like feeling pushed by it, but it seemed like there was something he wasn't telling us, um, you know, just outside of the fact that he's more of a writer, not a performer, And it was. And now that I know the answer and that it's freaking stage right, Donna should have been like, oh, okay, I don't want to make you do that. Like, it just seems so not Donna to, like, hear somebody say this is an issue for them, not feel comfortable, and then respond the way that she is. Like, I can understand wanting to push somebody out of their comfort zone and, like, face their fears. But... Maybe do it at, like, a little coffee shop, you know? Like, let's go back to that gay coffee shop and let Ray perform there. I bet he'd have a lot of, like, great attention. (laughs) He'd be so popular
2: at a coffee shop. I mean, the music that we've heard is very coffee shop.
0: Yeah, and so it's like maybe he needs to work up to a crowd like that, not to mention be in the right environment for his style of music. And so it just... I was just thinking about it while we were watching it, and I was like, like I understand Ray wanting, like a boyfriend wanting to do something for his girlfriend, but once I learned that it was stage fright, I was like, oh, honey, like you don't need to be doing this.
2: Well, and at one point he talks about like how you know the bass player isn't that great, and he needs to come up with a new verse or something because it, it's not working for the song, mm-hmm. and so like. I'm sure those are all excuses for the stage fright, but I feel like if he thinks his songs aren't ready and you're pushing him to perform songs that are not up to his standard, that's also bad.
0: Right. Exactly. That's like, hmm, let me think of a good one. Okay. It's like telling T-Pain, not only can you not use autotune, but you also have to go sing a Dolly Parton song. But with all of her musicians, not any of yours, zero mixing involved. It's like fish out of water. You know, it's like if he's already a not in the right environment, B not has a bass player when he's previously only done acoustic material and then C has to like basically rewrite a song, he doesn't feel in his element at all. So then couple that with stage fright. It's just a recipe for disaster.
2: It's so many things. There's also, I just thought about it. Like, I don't even know if Ray ever heard it, but David wants to bail on this. Like, he doesn't think it's going to work. And so, like, having your like club scheduling, club runner, whatever, just like think that you can't do it on top of you already feeling like you can't do it. It's so weird. And it makes me so upset that we didn't actually get to see it because I'm. I feel like I can't decide how the show would do it. Like, I'm sure he performed it. Everybody loved it. They all cheered for him. And then the credits
0: rolled. But maybe not. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, this was an episode where it was setting it up to be like, you're going to want to root for him. You know, like you're gonna want him to have a standing ovation. Well, they they would already be standing, but like, <laughs> you know, they you'd want the crowd to go wild, and you'd want them to love him, and he he's magically over his stage fright. But yeah, we didn't get to see it, and I don't even know how it would be. I I don't know. Yeah, I didn't honestly. I
2: didn't even realize that that realistically got cut from the episodes that we watched until I had just looked it up right before we started recording. So maybe I'll try and see if there's, like, a YouTube video out there somewhere. hmm But it did really confuse me that, like, the last thing we see at the P-Pad is basically Donna, like, doing this ridiculous chalkboard for Ray and then being like, you're in the Super Bowl and you got the ball and you're the best, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, cut to Dylan and Brandon the next morning.
0: <laughs> I know. It, yeah. Like, they wrapped it up without even wrapping it up. It's like, also, Ray doesn't really strike me as a football boy. I know. What if this was totally lost on him? That would make me
2: laugh so hard. If he was just like, what's a Super Bowl?
0: Right. Who's Vince Lombardi? What are these X's and O's on the chalkboard? Like, why did she write a play? How did she learn how to write a play? What does the play have anything to do with
2: it? <laughs> that was my favorite part is that there was clearly a play drawn up on there and she could have just like literally like taken the knowledge of like, oh, this is a play on a chalkboard. So I'm going to draw a little design of the stage and be like, this is stage left. This is where you enter. You're going to come right here. You're going to da like actually walk him through something rather than just like do some nonsense in front of him for a few minutes. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can't say for sure how it would have landed if everything was actually there, but it didn't land for me without his performance.
0: It just worries me that we're never actually going to see it, you know, like this because we don't often have episodes that then bleed into the next week like we did with Dylan's coma in this car accident, but we just don't often get that. So I just worry that we're never actually going to hear Ray perform. It's always just going to be well. You y- you heard them in your imagination.
2: <laughs> Seriously, what if we miss an entire like season arcing storyline because they've just cut it from streaming services?
0: I know that's like the show Nashville. Do you guys remember when that show came out? Mm-hmm. That's like because they actually had you know people on that show who could sing. That's like having this show called Nashville, which is about. <laughs> Nashville and music in Nashville and then having no one sing. It would be terrible.
2: That does feel like what's about to happen because we have the p pad. I mean, it's getting to the point where, you know, if you look at how many episodes are missing from streaming, it's just a ton from
1: here on yeah, out. That's true. I feel like in a couple of episodes, we're going to hear from some character that it was either really good or a disaster. And it's just going to be a surprise.
0: Yeah, like, we're just going to get a snippet from, oh, man, well, what are you talking about? Ray was great when he performed at the Peach Pit After Dark. All right, cool. That's your was opinion. Was he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that's your opinion. What was yours? And, and now I need to know from every single person if they thought he sounded good. Oh my
2: God. Yeah. What if someone is like, yeah, he did amazing. He was so good. And then right after, David's just like, what are you talking about?
0: <laughs> or what if he's like, what are you talking about? He never played. <laughs> oh my gosh this
2: is one of those like surreal things where we find out that there was never a ray
0: oh. <laughs> oh man could you imagine that would be great tv i really want a cut of
2: this show now where like you only ever see ray interact with donna and so you can't prove that he has ever actually existed.
0: Well, and we've seen TV and movies do that. Yeah. And it makes you want to go back and rewatch it and then focus in on it. That would be brilliant. Man.
2: And I'm like I don't think it would be that hard.
0: No. Like I don't think he that doesn't
2: either. He doesn't like any of her friends. We barely see anybody else talk to him. I think like Claire has said a couple sentences to him in passing and Kelly hates him and that's it.
0: You just go back and watch the Donna cut or the Ray cut or whatever. And you see Donna lugging that giant pumpkin to the beach apartment.
1: (laughs) She was the one who brought in all that food last episode.
0: (laughs) She's just
2: watching Vince Lombardi videos by herself and they're like, I'm really worried about her. What do we do?
0: And they even said that they're really worried about her. So then you cut back to like when she was, quote unquote, talking to Ray and she's just giving a pep talk to no one there's nobody there man
2: that would be so funny so good
0: no wonder felice felt she had to quote i'm doing air quotes for all you listeners give ray a check to leave
1: (laughs) donna was was never there (laughs) donna was just making out with herself under the christmas tree
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh my god ray is donna What?
0: (laughs) This can go in a million different directions.
2: I mean, I would totally buy that Felice is not taking care of her daughter's mental health and just, like, pays her other personality $10,000 to go away.
0: (laughs) Right? Man, now I'm just, like, thinking about Mr. Robot, and there's literally an episode where, because he's, Elliot is, uh, he has dissociative identity disorder, and, like, when you find out that he has this then it shows another episode of all the times that he was the other person his other personality and you're just like and you never actually ever saw anybody else interacting with his other per- his other personality like i'm telling you guys you got to watch Mr. Robot it is amazing television from for that specific reason it was so wild yeah so now i need the Donna cut or the ray cut whatever we're calling it yeah i I think we should call it the Ray Cut. The Ray Cut. Yeah.
2: See, now I feel like I'm just going to be picking out times that Ray interacts with other people and just like explaining away why that didn't actually happen. Yeah. I mean, they, was- lit- they literally cut him out of performing in front of a ton of people. I have exactly. no proof that that ever happened.
0: And let's be real, it would be more interesting than whatever's going on with them right now. Yeah.
2: Very true. I don't think I have anything else really to say about the pee pad. There's a very brief moment where Jesse and Andrea show up and they talk about how great it is and we find out that Jesse's not bartending anymore or maybe we already knew that and I didn't remember, but that's really it.
0: No, yeah. I wrote that down because, yeah, I said at the pee pad, Andrea and Jesse show up who is watching Hannah. Uh, Jesse says it makes him miss his bartending days, and Andrea immediately is like, "Um, no, no, those days are over." And I was like, "Wait, she made him quit his job? How are they? There? She doesn't work, he doesn't work. How are they getting money for their baby
1: and childcare and also attending school?" He's doing that legal thing, like oh, helping right. those people, like who need lawyers, have a essentially lawyer. like a public defender.
2: Well, and, yeah, that's the – like, is this a paid internship kind of thing or is it an unpaid because – Gosh, I hope so. They have bills. (laughs) That's what I mean. And he's not bartending. And, like, he could be such a good bartender at the P pad.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that would be a better – not better, but a good way to keep Jesse – And Andrea, for that matter, but especially Jesse, like, connected to the friend group other than just random legal advice when the gang gets in trouble.
2: Although I do love random legal advice when the gang gets in trouble.
0: (laughs) Well, he could still do that. He would just be on the clock bartending.
2: (laughs) He's busy, like, making a smoothie and just yelling legalese at them, but we can't hear it because the blender's going.
0: He's busy making that banana daiquiri, damn it. It suddenly became popular. (laughs) an all ages club it is an alcohol free
2: banana daiquiri
0: <laughs> right yeah at first i was like why would you say smoothie because if he's a bartender i'm thinking it should have been an alcohol and then yeah i forgot it's a freaking all ages club yeah
1: it's Mun's juice
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god they need to bring him back and make put him in his little lab coat and give him his beakers okay so
2: yeah essentially we have to assume that the pee pad is a
0: success but if it
2: is a all ages, non alcoholic bar that is playing like smooth ray. It's <laughs> like, how
1: is this successful?
0: There's a lot of silence because I can't think of anything.
1: <laughs> Steve isn't doing it.
0: Yeah, there you yeah. go.
2: I will say, uh, according to the wiki, the other song that plays while they're at the P pad is Gloria Estefan, and that feels so 90s to me.
0: I love that. Right? I was like,
2: okay, I'm actually okay with that.
0: I mean, Gloria Estefan, number one, is an icon. Number two, great dancing music. And then number three, yeah, super 90s. So I feel like that's that's good. Yeah. That's why they're successful. They got good music when it's not the smooth Ray. <laughs> oh, Ray. Well, yeah, I mean, that's all
2: that's
1: all I got. Mm-hmm. Kelly gets an A in abnormal psych, and her reward is an invitation to a workshop given by a popular professor, Patrick Finley. He's reinventing the psychology something. Valerie also got an A in that class and scored an invite to the seminar. She wasn't going to go, but since Kelly is, she'll tag along. Kelly is super thrilled about it. Valerie claims she's missed so many psychology classes due to illness, thereby giving herself an out if the workshop gets too boring. Good thing she did because she's pretty much done as soon as Patrick Finley starts talking about how we have evolved and we're shiny now. Val dips as soon as she can. Kelly remains, told by Sarah, not to let Val influence her if she wants to change her life. Kelly talks in a small group about her experience with the fire and what she was thinking when it happened. Professor Finley gets real close and touchy and asks her a lot of questions. Kelly comes home to tell Claire about her breakthrough ascendancy. Later, she stops by Professor Perturbing's office. He tells her it's a gift to have an event put your whole life into focus, referring to the accident that left him in a wheelchair and the fire Kelly was trapped in. He tells Kelly she's still evolving. She can change her life, but the people in it might not understand. Because it's a fucking cult. (laughs) It's so obviously a
2: cult. Oh, my God. The second she said she got a $200 seminar for free, I was like, it's a cult. It's (laughs) It's Nexium. <laughs> Get
0: out. See, it took me a little longer to grasp that it was a cult, but once, uh, what does she say? The words, I think Mary, Mary, you said it was like, uh, he he has an unorthodox theory called the new evolution or something, evolution, evolution or something like that. And even Cindy's like, um, that's a hard pass for me.
2: <laughs> it just like it was like point after point after point, and like I love listening. To stories about cults because that's just the kind of person I am but I feel like any lay person is also supposed to be able to pick this up by at least the time she gets to the workshop
0: oh no doubt I mean outside of like okay let's just go check out a seminar like you know she's clearly interested in psychology Valerie is at least mildly interested at least to go mostly I still think my Uh, theory is panning out thus far that she's still trying to figure out when she best owes when kelly best owes valerie but like you know they go to this workshop they like walk in it's fine but then this like weird graduate assistant is like just spewing his love for this professor and i don't even think i wrote down exactly what he said but it was just like really really I don't know, like rose-colored glasses, glazed over eyes, like I have been sucked into this. So once you got there, you're like, huh, that's a little weird. This is just a guy after all. He's just a professor. And yeah, from that point forward, Valerie is like, no, this is not for me. But she doesn't realize it's a cult. So yeah, I just love
2: how many times Valerie is ready to bail and go shopping and Kelly is just like, hush, Valerie, I'm listening. (laughs) Valerie, you avocado head, shut it. <laughs> There's also a moment before they get to the seminar. I think it's like the night before that Kelly's on the phone with her mom. Yeah. And her mom is telling her about her first consciousness seminar. And Kelly's like, oh my God, mom, whatever, bye. And then like immediately goes to a cult.
0: So that made me think of Nexium with, um, I have forgotten their names, but her mom ends up getting her out. But she also was in it at one point. Yes, yes. And it would not surprise me for to to hear that Jackie at least had a cult like experience. I, you know, I don't think she was in one necessarily, but at least was maybe recruited. You know, and oh, I'd buy it. Yeah, and like spewed the ideals maybe to young Kelly, like maybe when Kelly was like 13 or something. And so, you know, of course we hear Kelly's trauma later on, not even just with the fire, but with the pressure to be beautiful and her mom just being a model inherently making her always care about her looks. So it's like, yeah, honestly, and this is not a slight on Kelly at all. This is just this happens in real life, but she is a prime target to be in a cult.
2: Well, and yeah, you can hear them using, like, cult language the whole time. Like, as soon as Val leaves, mm-hmm. the Sarah Buchanan, the first person that they had been, like, really talking to, pulls her aside and, like, immediately cuts her off from Val and is like, don't let a negator talk you out of experiencing the thing you could experience here. hmm And I do feel like, you know, she's kind of picking up on – the tension between Kelly and Val and being like, I can split this apart and I can isolate Kelly and I can bring her over here to me.
0: Oh, hundred percent. And this is somebody who, you know, we, you know, the audience is being introduced to Sarah for the first time here, but you can tell at least Kelly has had conversations with her because it seems like she was probably a TA or yeah. Maybe a grad student, you know, some somebody with at least a little bit of authority, but to the point where maybe she had office hours or, you know, something like that to where Kelly knows her more than we know her. But she at least knows Kelly enough to know that she will likely be a, a willing participant yeah. to join this evolution.
2: Well, yeah, and like when they split into groups, you can see uh Professor Finley coming up behind Kelly and also like a very culty thing and a very nexium thing is when finley tells her to state a truth and not analyze it yeah like, that's a thing they're like no don't think about the thing you're doing blah 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 you're you're going against our beliefs you just need to state truths
0: oh my gosh yeah now that now that you mentioned it it's very nexium like, it's very so like nexium
2: it is nexium to the point that i feel like Kate ranieri grew up on 90210 and was like i can do that
0: Oh, my God. I even got, like, Keith Raniere vibes from – not, like, even the look of him from Patrick Finley. You know, it was, like, the glasses in the middle part, hair. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, boy.
2: Yeah. it's It's this whole, like, he's not necessarily attractive, but the way that he talks to you feels very, like, engaging, and he's, like, on your level and just talking Mm -hmm. to you and, like, I don't know. It's – honestly, even – Like, when you watch – I think it's the Nexium doc on HBO and you, like, actually hear Keith Raniere talking and you're like, oh, no, he's just stupid. Like, I don't know how he made these people fall for this other than the idea of, like, sleep deprivation and just, like, hive mind kind of stuff. But when uh, Professor Finley comes out and just says, we have evolved and everyone broke into applause, I was like, oh, no. (laughs) please know
0: it was just it was the classic like it's you know um like cult leaders I forget where they break it down I think it was in the Netflix explained video when they talk about cults when they talk about kind of like the key factors in what makes a cult and one of them is like the type of charismatic leader right so it's like Mm -hmm. clearly the fact that all professor finley had to say was three words we are evolved and the crowd goes wild that's how you know okay these people might have a couple of biases toward professor finley for reasons we're not aware because even val like i'm pretty sure they like cut to her reaction because like even kelly at first is kind of like slow clapping like oh i'm supposed to clap at this and val's like the hell (laughs)
2: <laughs> like yeah.
0: what is this and she's like no nah, no nah, i'm out and and like you said keeps looking for a ways out so it was like very it was very well done in terms of making like putting all the steps in there to allow you to believe it's a cult like very real yeah honestly like it
2: sucks to me a lot that kelly is going to get pulled into a cult because i feel like we have talked about how kelly sees the truth in people a lot more than anybody Mm -hmm. else does but like it is just perfect it's perfect timing for her to get pulled in which kind of makes me think that like when she went for her psych finals or like you know maybe towards the end of the semester she had to like call out sick from classes or something saying that she was in a fire Mm -hmm. and then somebody who was in the cult was like oh my god traumatic experience like this is the perfect time to grab her
0: Oh yeah. I definitely think it's more a timing thing than a personality thing because to your point, yeah, she usually sees through people's bullshit and we've seen that time and time again, but this fire and this traumatic experience has just completely turned her upside down. Like thinking about religion, thinking about, um, you know, her priorities, uh, being vulnerable with Brandon where maybe she hadn't really been that vulnerable to begin with. Um, The modeling, you know, the fact that the fire took place right as she was starting to model again, like the time was just perfect for lack of a better term for her to need something that can help explain all the things that are happening to her.
2: Yep. Exactly. And like, even with her friends, like I feel like she does kind of feel separated from them a little bit because of this experience, but then she goes home and it's like, while David and Claire are worried about Ray's stage fright and Donna's watching the Lombardi videos. So like they've got things going on in their life. But Kelly comes in and talks about how she had a breakthrough ascendancy. And they're like, what? We have to go deal with this. And she's like, okay, fine. I'll just go outside and tell the birds about how happy I am. Like, mm-hmm. I feel so bad for her. And like, maybe if you know, everybody had been able to take the time to listen to her and been like, no, that sounds like a cult. Maybe this wouldn't happen. But it's just like, it's the perfect storm to get Kelly sucked into this.
0: For sure. And honestly, I think if Claire had taken two seconds, she would have snuffed it out. Claire, yeah. to me, seems like the person that would have been like, what are you doing? What What is this? And been like, no, you're out of here. Like, you're not doing this. Oh, yeah. No, Claire...
2: See, I don't know. I would have said two weeks ago, Kelly is too smart to get pulled into a cult. So now I feel like I can't say, like, Claire's too smart to get pulled into a cult. But I also really feel like Claire's too smart to get pulled into a cult.
0: I think Claire – okay. So we don't really know how smart and by smart, I mean book smart, Kelly is. Like, obviously, she's good at psychology, but, like, we – We were never told she's like Brandon or she's like Andrea when it comes to grades, right? Mm -hmm. So we're probably thinking she's like middle of the road, like probably good in particular subjects, not so good in others. But we know she has excellent street smarts, which even though that typically means, yeah, you won't get sucked into a cult. You know, like you said, perfect storm of things can happen and your your whole psyche is thrown off. With Claire, we're told that she is not only – like, valedictorian of her high school, could have gone to Columbia, could have gone to all these schools, but also street smart. So to your point, basically what I'm trying to say is I think you're right. I think she is too smart, Claire, to join a cult or to fall into a cult, just because she kind of has that perfect combination of, like, street and book smart, whereas with Kelly, there wasn't another thing to um, fall back on. As, like, intelligence. And I'm not saying Kelly's dumb by any means. Like, like, of course not. But no, she's very vulnerable right now.
2: Well, and, yeah, I think we could even build on that of, like, psychology is the first school subject that we've seen her be really passionate about. Right. And that the cult used that as their end to her. I mean, she talks yeah. about how, like, Pat- Patrick Finley is this amazing professor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she got an A I'm not a normal psych. She's been working so hard on all this stuff. And then the last scene we even see with her is when she's going to give a note to Finley, and she like slides it under his door. And then he opens the door, remembers who she is and invites her in to sit down with him. Like, I yeah, I just think it's, to say perfect storm again, I think it's that where like this is the one subject that she's been so passionate about and it just happens to be the way that they pulled her in.
0: And in that scene, he does the classic cult leader thing of making her feel special. Like, I'm bad at names, but I remembered you. But then also getting her to commit. It's like these little small commitments along the way. Like, I'm in sales, and so we typically, when we're giving a, a presentation or something, we try to do many closes along the way right mm-hmm. we're trying to get buy in we're trying to like convince them to buy this thing at the end but we need their buy in along the way to make sure that we're not just talking out of our ass or whatever anyway with this it's like he's trying to get her to commit and even say your friends or your circle he doesn't say these exact words but he's like your people might think that I'm this is crazy or I'm telling you something that you can't do but you're still changing yourself like he's he's getting her buy in say your people might not agree with this, but trust me, you are going to change if you want to. Like, he's putting that ball in her court to commit to him, not to her friends, not to whatever her preconceived notions are, but to his idea. He is literally saying, all this will happen, but you have to trust me. Like, you have to be the one to say, you're going to do this. And what is she going to say? No, I don't trust you. No, I don't know you. No, I don't know what you're talking about. No, like blah, blah, blah. No, she immediately says, no, I want to change my life.
2: Yeah. He knows just enough about her because in that very first time that she had to get into a group, he told her that like, be vulnerable. Tell us the truth about yourself, blah, blah, blah. And she talked about like wanting to change and not knowing about herself. And he's like, I got you. I'm going to just like hook you in. Like yep, he's – it's good. It's it is very good writing. It is. It's scary. It's very scary.
0: <laughs> it is a wild to be like, Just based on the the based on true stories and actual true story documentaries about cults that like we've watched and and that have been put out within the last probably a couple of years. It's so accurate and I'm like, "All right, Who on the writing staff loves true crime and loves cults? (laughs) Right?
2: Like, and honestly, no offense to the rest of this episode, but, like, this storyline was written so well. Yeah. And the others, like, we'll get to Brandon and Dylan, but, like, the pee pad stuff, like, it just didn't resonate with me. And this just, like, hooks me in.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, it's hitting our interest, like, big time here. And – it, I think the added layer of it is that it's probably connecting with our, I guess, confusion or skepti- skepticism or something around cults, right? Like, sure, we all love music. Sure, we love the idea of having a place to go where you can party safely. Like, sure, we all love all that. But these are, like, 19-year-olds trying to run this thing. Is it as realistic as it's portrayed? Probably not. Whereas this, this can happen to literally anybody. That's a very good point.
2: Cults are scary, man. They're so
0: scary. And to think that, like, just one wrong move and you're in, like – because what they do is they just try to appeal to your sense of belonging and community, you know. And, of course, they, they kind of pull you in and trap you in when you're your most vulnerable. But at the core of it, they still are just trying to present themselves as a place where you can belong and you're not judged. It's, yeah. Who doesn't want that?
2: I mean, literally, like, to talk about the Boy Meets World episode again where Sean gets pulled into a cult, like – It's him needing a family. Yeah. Like every time you see these portrayed on TV, it's like somehow these, you know, cult leaders and cult members can like read your vulnerabilities and that's what they can access to pull you in. Yep. It's so scary. And Kelly's in a cult now. I know.
0: Oh, baby. We need like more follow-up on this like ASAP.
2: Right? Like I need this to be the next like, five episodes. Just (laughs) this. Just this. I don't care about the pee pad. I don't care about non-existent Ray. I only (laughs) care about the cult.
0: Just give us the next 15 or 16 episodes of this season all about the cult. (laughs)
2: Just, okay. We're going to split between the cult and Dylan riding the bus.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. And Dylan's story. I just now... Yeah, I want Dylan to get a speed episode. Oh, my God.
2: <laughs> okay, but like, is Dylan the Sandra Bullock? 100%. Is, okay. <laughs> is Keanu Reeves still Keanu Reeves? You'd have to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God.
0: Did you just get hot? <laughs> I did. I love She's, that idea so much. Listener, she was like fanning herself. <laughs> I just,
2: I I don't think you realize how much I love Keanu.
0: I I mean, you might,
2: but the listeners have no idea.
0: Yeah. It's pretty abundantly clear if you have a few (laughs) conversations like. (laughs) Yeah. So just picture Lou Perry and Keanu Reeves just having a speed episode. I'm so happy now. (laughs) Oh, well, I
2: guess speaking of Dylan. Mary, you want to tell us what happened there?
1: Dylan has a few days before his driver's license gets suspended because that's how that works. Right? (laughs) He decides the only way he wants to spend this time is by going on a motorcycle trip to Lake Whitney with Brandon. (laughs) It's super awkward when Dylan doesn't want to talk about Kelly because for some reason, Brandon doesn't want to talk about not Kelly. Before the end of the first night, they've decided Brandon's going to go home. But then they argue their way back into continuing the trip. During a pee break, the boys trespass on Native American territory and inadvertently desecrate a sacred burial ground with their fluids. In exchange for the return of their licenses, Brandon, and Dylan, I guess, agree to dig a hole for the nice officer who confiscated them. It goes about as well as you'd expect with an angrier-than-usual Dylan and a Brandon who's been promoted to hole supervisor. (laughs) Anyway, the hole gets dug eventually, and the boys are invited into the Finnish sweat lodge. Dylan prays and thanks for his life. Brandon basically says, yeah, that, but also it's hot. <laughs> He's also good at extreme Or te- er, sorry. He's only good at extreme temperatures in the other direction. The next morning, the boys argue over what they learned today, but they're still friends. Dylan goes home to find a message on his answering machine from Jonesy. He found some money that might be his. Next step's leave the country and don't tell anyone. Which is absolutely what you should do when you're on probation.
0: 100%. Yeah, please flee. I'm pretty sure that's the direction. They say please um leave the country and don't tell anyone you did it. I know it's TV.
2: I know they wrote this out of convenience, but the idea that, yeah, he's got a couple of days before his license is suspended is not how that works. <laughs> it happens the day they say it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not like, in three weeks and four days, your license will be, we just needed a round number.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's literally like, I have three days until I lose my license, so I'm going to take a motorcycle on a trip. Like, No. That's not how this works. This this is not how any of this works.
0: No, it's not.
2: So the episode essentially starts with Brandon running into Dylan outside the peach pit. It's after finals. It's before the next semester shows up, I guess. And Brandon, thankfully, is just like, well, we can't go to Palm Springs because of Kelly's burn. And we can't go skiing because of Donna. So I have nothing to do.
0: (laughs) I love that he's always just, like, along for the free vacation, or at least, you know, his friends can plan vacations, but otherwise he's not doing anything.
2: Yeah, I love that this is literally convenience. He's like, I'm not doing anything, and Dylan's like, okay, motorcycles?
0: (laughs) Which I was watching this whole time, like, while, uh, like, the motorcycle scenes and, like, anything like that, because we know that Jason Priestley is, like, a little daredevil and a gearhead and like loves motorcycles and things so I was trying to I don't know just capture the joy on Brandon's face but he had to play like he was really bad at motorcycles <laughs> so I felt kind of bad for Jason Priestley in that moment.
2: Did you also see that he directed this episode? <gasps> yeah. Oh I missed it. It popped up like I think it was during Steve's voiceover while he's complaining to months, and I just saw directed by Jason Priestley, and then they said motorcycles, and I was like, oh my god, it's the perfect episode.
0: Man, he gets, like, all of his favorites when he directs. He gets, uh, he got, um, like, that car chase scene yep. in the very first episode. He's got this. Man. Right? That's good for him, indulging I'm- in his interests. I know, and, like, he's a pretty good director. Like, oh, yeah. No. I, I mean, we were just giving mad props to all the cult stuff, so. Right. And this this episode has everything.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, he goes home, starts packing all of his stuff, comes into the kitchen with his sleeping bag, which has been destroyed by, like, moths or something. Uh, And there's a slight Brenda mention where he's like, thankfully, Brenda's sleeping bag is fine. I'm taking it, which feels very on-brand.
0: Yes, very on-brand.
2: Also on-brand, Jim and Cindy being like, I'm not so sure you should go on this trip with Dylan.
0: And he's like, no, no, it'll be fine. And they're like, okay. I I really appreciate
2: that he's like, it'll be just like Easy Rider. And Jim goes, they died at the end.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would have been like if he said it'll be just like Thelma and Louise. Right?
2: <laughs> but like, uh, it's little stuff that, like, he makes this joke to Jim, mm-hmm. and then later on, Dylan also references Easy Rider completely separately. Right. Like.
0: Yeah, there were a lot of little, little things that were a scripted or b unscripted that were pretty cute. Yeah, it's
2: like that was kind of a small reminder of, of like. Hey, these guys have been friends in the past. Like we haven't seen it before. And this is kind of like a trip of convenience. But if they can get past Kelly and Brandon Brandoning all over dinner,
0: oh my goodness. They can be friends. I mean, it starts immediately because Dylan shows up to head out. And he lets Brandon know that he got, like, the motorcycle, and it's a really awesome motorcycle, only the best for Brandon. And they're talking about the weather and the fact that they're going to be staying in a hotel one night but then sleeping under the stars and camping in the next. And then Jim makes this comment about Brandon can build one of his award-winning campfires to keep them warm. But Dylan's there, and Kelly's walking down the stairs, and he immediately is just giving mad hard eyes up to Kelly Taylor as they leave. And Brandon absolutely notices. I mean, of course. Why would he not clock this? Oh, yeah. It was like five seconds of just Dylan looking at Kelly and Brandon looking at Dylan. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, like, it's just
2: it's fine when they're on the motorcycles because they're loud. They can't talk to each other. They're like, you know, doing their motorcycle thing. But they get to the first place for dinner And as soon as they order, after being, like, weirdly flirty with the waitress and I didn't like it,
0: Mm -mm.
2: they they asked to see her oven.
0: Yeah, like, they're referencing her vagina, for those of you who don't know, but it was gross. And,
2: like, yeah, I didn't like it. I don't want to talk about any of that other than what we just did. Brandon, as soon as the waitress leaves, starts trying to talk about the task force, which (laughs) feels so brandon And then brings up Lulu, and Dylan's like, hey, do you remember that time that she tried to seduce me and make me finance all of her stuff while she was with you? Like, let's not talk about that.
0: Like, I'm pretty sure Lucinda is one of the major reasons that Dylan and Brandon aren't friends.
2: Yeah, it's like, in order of appearance, Lucinda, then Kelly.
0: Exactly. So... Which I also have to point out a weird – now that I know that Jason Priestley directed this, I thought it was a weird choice to have Dylan and Brandon same sided, in their little table. It was a table for six, but yet they sat next to each other. (laughs)
2: I did notice that it was, yeah, like the big table and the rest – like everyone just sits on, you know, picnic tables and they were sitting side by side. I guess like it must have had to do with the way they built the set. Probably.
0: probably yeah unless they were trying to show them on the metaphorical same side until they weren't you know what i mean like they're fine with each other until all this drama comes up i mean even in the sense of like what they order brandon gets like a mushroom type of soup and something and dylan gets pie and a cup of coffee and brandon even criticizes dylan about his dinner choice
2: yeah i mean like Literally, the first moment that the two of them are alone and talking to each other, they start fighting. Yeah. And I got to be honest, it's all Brandon's fault. And then Brandon's like, my father told me we'd be fighting before we even got to the campground. And I'm like, you started it. Mm-hmm. You did this.
0: I mean, even then when he's like, well, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about Jack Kerouac? And Dylan's like, yeah, let's talk about Jack Kerouac. He's and then like- Brandon's like, I hate him. <laughs> I know, yeah, Dylan's like, I love Jack
2: Kerouac, and Brandon's like, I hate him. On the road,
0: hated it. Dharma yeah. bums, hated it. Like, it's just every single thing they cannot stand about each other.
2: Yeah, and I mean, even so, we go away from them. They finish dinner, whatever. They go to the hotel room, and Brandon calls Kelly, and Dylan's like, well, you didn't have to wait until I was in the shower to call her and then Brandon's like, "Yes, I did cuz you were making eyes at her." I hate you. Did you see
0: our friend Boomy?
2: One day it's going to be like season 10 before all three of us see him at the same time.
0: <laughs> I'm really surprised because he was there a long time. Like pretty much the entire time that it was a it was it wasn't a super wide shot, but it was a wide shot on Brandon when he's sitting on the bed talking to Kelly. And he's just, like, bobbing. He's, like, a little, like, you know those bobbers you put on a fishing pole for kids? He was just bobbing. Oh my God. And then Dylan comes out of the shower, and as they're panning out to make it the super wide shot, he goes away. I'm like, you went away for the super wide <laughs> shot? <laughs> but, yeah, he was like, no, no, I want to hear this conversation.
2: <laughs> I mean, as soon as Brandon calls it the open wound and not the open road, Boomy was just like, I'm sorry, what were you saying?
0: Oh, that's a good Good one, Brandon.
2: Let's hear more. And, you know, Brandon ends up saying that this was all a horrible idea. He's going to go back to L.A. tomorrow. Dylan's like, well, why don't you just go tonight? And Brandon's like, because I already paid for the hotel room.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry. I just spit all over my microphone. I'm sorry, Brandon. You paid for it or did your daddy pay for it? Because you don't work at the Peach Pit anymore. You don't have a job. Also. Sunk cost
2: fallacy, my dude. <laughs> Cut and run.
0: Man. Yeah. So classic Brandon and Dylan. You know, Brandon just doesn't want to deal with the problem. He wants to leave the problem. Dylan set, on, set out on a mission to live up his last three days before his license gets revoked. And so he's still going to go. But what's weird is the next morning, you know, as they're getting to leave, Dylan... Kind of wants him to stay. Like he's arguing with Brandon to get him to stay, even though they're arguing.
2: I kind of loved this argument that like Brandon's gonna head back to LA and Dylan's like, well, I have to go with you because I don't wanna have to deal with if you die, everyone's gonna blame me for it. I'm gonna have mm-hmm. to call your parents and you know Jim and I don't get along. Exactly. And then they just argue back and forth until he's like, well, why don't you just keep going with me? And Brandon's like, you really want me to do that? And he's like, I guess so. And then they keep
0: going. And they agree not to bring up the K-word anymore.
2: Which I feel like they should have done outside the peach pit. I know. Like, hey, let's not talk about the women that we've dated. Agreed. I'm going to go home and pack. Exactly. I just solved this whole episode for them. (laughs) But
0: it clearly doesn't matter because then, you know, a little bit later down the road, they're almost to where they need to be. And they park their bikes right next to the road and walk all the way over to these trees that clearly have these no trespassing, private property signs, all that. And they decide to start peeing right next to each other too which I don't know anything about boys peeing I know that's no different than a urinal or bathroom situation but that seemed like they are real close to pee to each other next to each other so I don't know what do I know about boys peeing anywho they're peeing and having a conversation because also you talk while you pee and a tribal cop which that's what I called him and I feel like that was insensitive for me to call it that but I didn't know what to call it well, and I think Like,
2: that might have been what was on the truck because I kept saying sheriff just because that's the very first thing I wrote down and then I stuck with it. But I'm not sure that's right at all.
0: My first thing was a park ranger and then I learned he had, like, police authority. And I was like, okay, he's not a park ranger. And I think it maybe it did subconsciously say the word tribe or see the word tribal, but then added cop. Anywho, I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone. This man is a law enforcement officer on a Native American reservation. <laughs> yeah. The, I can't decide
2: how much of this is just, like, bad. <laughs> like, this is bad. Like... The idea that this man takes their licenses and is like, I'm going to put you on work. I could arrest you or I'm going to put you on work detail. And then Brandon's like, yeah, okay, we'll take that. And then Dylan's like, are we going to have to go work on a chain gang? And then I think it might be later, but Brandon's like, I don't even know if the Constitution applies while I'm on the reservation. I was like, this is just so uncomfortable.
0: It was literally like. No, but in, – and in, I always feel bad, like, shitting on writers because, because I know things are changed. You know, the powers that be, like, have a lot more influence than I ever knew on literal week-to-week episodes. There's editing, there's cuts, there's deleted scenes, there's all this kind of stuff. But you just wonder how much thought and – research was put into this episode because it legitimately sounds like because of the way that they wrote Brandon and Dylan that they don't know what they're talking about and like I don't
2: know it felt very like magical Native American kind of a thing like they have been fighting and then they pull over and he tells them they're peeing on an ancient burial ground which it was like that's something and if they actually were peeing on an ancient burial ground you wouldn't just make them dig a hole and then invite them to like a a ceremony
0: right like to your point it felt like it was a very um everything that was written in this was based on either stereotype or like stories you know like you hear about Native Americans connecting with earth and connecting with, like, higher meaning and purpose within nature. So, therefore, Dylan and Brandon can only learn their lesson, which they never actually learned a lesson, I might add. They can only do so by the Native American way, not by just getting thrown in a jail or have to pay a fine.
2: And, like, from what... This law enforcement officer actually sees of them of just pulling off on the side of the road and peeing. Why would he be like, you know what these men need to do? They need to dig a hole for me. And then I need to invite them to have a, you know, spiritual experience with me and my tribe. Like, why would he do that?
0: I don't know. And it like made me a little uncomfortable because I'm like, ugh, are they doing this thing again where they're trying to be diverse, but they're
2: they're not they're doing it badly
0: yeah and like don't get me wrong like i really liked the actor who played the law enforcement officer i thought he was great and super actually weirdly funny whenever he was explaining to them what they were gonna do like i actually really was charmed by this man so i don't want to say anything negative about that it just felt uncomfortable yeah i mean
2: My two options for this is that somehow this man knew that they were fighting and that they needed to have this spiritual experience, or he didn't want to dig a hole and he found two white boys that he could scare by being like, you're on Native American land and you peed on an ancient burial ground. Go dig my hole for me. Which, I don't know, I kind of like that idea better that he was just like, I'm going to go mess with those white boys. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, they get to the spot where they're supposed to dig the hole, and he gives Dylan the only shovel and tells Brandon that he's going to supervise, but he kept saying, like, make sure the sides and the bottom are perfectly, and I hated it, because perfectly is an adverb that is meant to describe you, it's like ending a sentence on a preposition. You can't do it. Perfectly what? Angled? Perfectly straight? dig <laughs> Round? <laughs> like, what are you trying? Like, he just kept, he kept, like, using his little hand motions, which you think it means straight and, like, boxy. So for a second, I was like, is this a coffin? But that was just <laughs> a fleeting thought. <laughs> but I hated that he kept saying sides and bottoms, or bottom, Perfectly. It was a dangling modifier, you guys. It was a dangling
1: modifier. Yeah, he needed to just add the word flat. Like, yeah, he he just motioned it. And what if they what if they don't know that this means flat? We're all humans here.
0: We can't make a perfect straight line, even if he dipped a little. They're like, okay, well, did he? How far down did he bend his arm? Like. Perfectly what? <laughs> did y'all think of holes? Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> I wrote Brandon and Dylan are stuck in holes.
2: And I think like I blacked out the rest of the conversation mm-hmm. because I was just thinking of like holes and how 100%. they dig a hole every single day and it has to be exactly the depth and the width of the shovel. So I was just like, oh, they're just doing shovels. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Like I did not
0: even question it because I was like, it's holes. <laughs> They just needed Hector to take Hector Zaroni up the mountain. <laughs> no
2: good, dirty rotten pig stealing, great great grandfather Walsh.
0: <laughs> if yeah. only they made sploosh. <laughs> <laughs> They'd argue about how to make it. So I mean,
2: yeah, the next scene is them just fighting like the shirt. The law enforcement officer shows up again, asks Brandon how Dylan's doing. Dylan loses it and leaves. Brandon picks up the shovel to go back, and then now he doesn't want to dig or, I don't know, whatever. I didn't care. Honestly, I didn't care about any of this. And then the sheriff gets back. They're digging the hole together, and he's like, yeah, you're done here, but I'd like to invite you to stay.
0: Well, and what was weird is, like, they Brandon and Dylan thought they were tricking this guy, right? They're like, Well, well, wait a minute. What if I dig? And then right before he comes back, how would they know? We'll switch. And it'll be it'll be none the wiser. He won't know. They totally <laughs> missed the point. I love that they zoned
2: in on the idea that like Brandon has to supervise and Dylan <laughs> has to dig. Not that like they just have to dig a hole and then they can leave.
0: Right. And there was a little cute moment between Luke Perry and Jason Priestley when they were, like, walking back back towards the hole. Dylan, or Luke Perry, I guess, like, trips Jason Priestley. I don't know if you guys noticed that. But they were walking back, and he just, like, kicks his foot. And then they, like, giggle at each other. They don't actually giggle, but they, like, clearly look like they giggled. And it was adorable. And that's, that's what I was referring to earlier when I said there was a lot of cute things that happened in this episode, both scripted and probably not scripted. That was one of the not scripted ones, I think.
2: And, like, yeah, th- I feel like we need that little kind of stuff because I don't care about the things that were actually meant to happen. Like, when Brandon freaks out because he thinks the sweat lodge is going to be hot, I was like, get over yourself. <laughs> I don't care.
0: I'm Minnesota tough. Like, what does that oh even God. mean? Okay, that means you can handle cold weather. You've been in Los Angeles for how many Five years? Five years. Like, I'm sure if you went back to Minnesota, you would not be able to handle the cold anymore.
2: Yeah. No, he just like keeps freaking out about how hot it is. And then when they get into the sweat lodge, and they're all praying, like, yeah, Dylan, thanks the grandfather for saving his life. And Brandon thanks the grandfather that his friend Dylan is there. And then, yeah, he's like, oh, it's so hot. And I was like, I, I feel like this was meant to be comedic, but I don't care. I'm not picking up on what you're intending this to be.
0: I was a little afraid they were going to make it like he passes out and Dylan has to, like, pull him out of the sweat lodge and they have this cathartic experience or something like that. No, it was just Brandon complaining. Yeah,
2: I was definitely a little worried that they were just going to, like, bail on the sweat lodge early and have some, like, heart-to-heart outside, and that was supposed to be okay. And I was like, no, that would have been disrespectful. Like, you do have to stay for the whole thing, even if you're hot.
0: And even if the uh, law enforcement officer gave them an out. You know, he he was like, we're trying to be safe here, so if you're too hot, like, you can leave. But anyway, like, they do end up having a heart-to-heart, but – they still don't even agree on what the heart to heart should be. Like they're reflecting on the experience and they're even the only thing they agree on is that going all the way to Lake Whitney at this point would be anticlimactic. That's the only thing they agree on. Because then Dylan talks about how, you know, it really taught him how everyone's flawed. Sometimes you need a reminder. I don't know how he got there, but he did. Same. And Brandon's like, um no, that's not what you were supposed to take from this. Like you always assume that people are out to get you and you don't give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm sorry, Brandon. He had $8 million stolen from him.
2: And, like, how many times have the Walshes themselves, like, personally written him off? Like, raise your hand if you've ever been felt attacked by Jim Walsh.
0: Oh, we need that. We need that for this episode. But seriously, Brandon's like, no, no, you're wrong. About the conclusion that you came to on your own. Here's my conclusion. You suck.
2: Yeah. I hate- it. And they like throw some Cheerios all around and then drive home.
0: <laughs> yeah. At first their little boxes looked like Chick-fil-A chicken nugget boxes. Which I had Chick-fil-A for lunch today when I watched it. So maybe I was just projecting. But like. It was clearly a little trail mix or something, but yeah, little Cheerios that seemed like just flinging at each other, which that part was a little bit cute because I think we get a cute little Luke Perry giggle. But (laughs) yeah, yeah, they're just like, haha, we're going to go home and and watch my tailpipe or whatever innuendo they made there at the end. And yeah. uh,
2: And then, yeah, they, they get home and Dylan goes to check his messages. And Jonesy has found money, and Dylan needs to get there, and I need it. Like, I would be so fine if, like, quite literally, what are we on, episode 17? Like, literally the majority of the rest of the season is just – it won't be. But it's just Dylan and Kelly, and, like, every now and then they just, like, go to the pee pad.
0: Yeah. I would love that, too. I mean, first of all, I love the fact that we got – you know not an immediate because it happened at the end of the episode but fairly immediate next step with jonesy right because like last we heard from him he was just going down to south america he'll call dylan when he calls him well good news he called him like he said he would so that's good but you know he randomly found eight million dollars (laughs) so maybe it's yours or maybe it's somebody else's i don't know but yeah so dylan's now a flight risk and he called him really fast. Like
2: the, if we're going by like actual air dates, the Christmas episode aired on December 21st and this is January 11th. So like Jonesy found it very fast.
0: He's a very good private eye. No wonder he's asking for half of the money. <laughs> and you know what? He's earned it. Yeah, so far. I mean, we hope it's Dylan's $8 million and not somebody else's.
2: Yeah. I Honestly, like I cannot wait
1: till next episode to find out. I'm very right. excited. I would love to know how you find the wrong $8 million. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me Jonesy could do it. <laughs> He's just slowly
2: accumulating wealth as he looks for Dylan's money because he keeps just finding millions of dollars around him, being like, hey, I got this for you. I take half. Hey, I got this for you. I take half. Hey, I got this for you. I take half.
0: <laughs> yeah. Suddenly he has like $12 million, like <laughs> off three jobs.
1: what yeah, no point. What I, at that point, you don't even have to find the actual money. You can just be like, um, I found this $8 million. Here's your $4 million.
0: Exactly. Like, to me, I'm just picturing Jonesy going to South America and just like casually finding $8 million and like, wonder if that's Dylan McKay's.
2: And if Dylan says no, he's just like, "Huh, I'll just keep this then. <laughs> yeah.
0: Because <laughs> you know he would. Oh, for sure. He's the type of dude. He seems like the type of dude that totally would. Yeah. Um, do, so, do you have a quote of the week this week? Sort of. Okay. Like, I do, but I don't love it. <laughs> I don't love any of
2: what I wrote down either, but I kind of do have a guess. Okay. Um, when Val comes in at Casa Walsh, And Kelly's talking about the seminar, and Val's like, oh, I got that too. And Kelly goes, you got an A in abnormal psych? And Val responds, with my family, I should have gotten an A+.
0: That's a good one. That was not it, but that probably should have been because it's way better than the one that I have.
1: (laughs) Um, I have one guess because I just hate everything else I wrote down. So Kelly comes back and says that she's had a breakthrough ascendancy and Claire's like, a what? Hold that thought.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was my other guess. I mean, A plus for the delivery of that because you sounded like Claire, so that was wonderful. Um, No, it wasn't. And again, that was still better than what I have. I failed to mention in the heart-to-heart between Brandon and Dylan that Dylan also came to another conclusion and that is, Look before you leak. Damn, I wrote that down too. <laughs> okay, that's good. I like that. Uh, <laughs> not great,
1: but it is a takeaway, I guess. Um, I have a moment, and it was just at that seminar when um, he just basically yells, we have evolved, and then talks about how we're shiny people. And I'm just like, okay, people are Pokemon now. we're the holographic versions of ourselves
2: (laughs) yeah i guess we're gonna have to find out about the cult next week and hopefully also brazil
0: maybe um yeah so next week we have season five episode 18 hazardous to your health
2: i mean cults are hazardous to your health true that's all i got (laughs)
0: yeah i mean we know what we want to see next week we want to see colt we want to see brazil or you know wherever jonesy told dylan i don't even think he told him where to go but it doesn't matter dylan just knows and that's what we want to see next week so hopefully we get immediate payoff on that
2: i'm gonna be honest if they don't go to brazil and they go to literally anywhere else i'm gonna be like how did jonesy get there good point what are
0: his expenses And does he like keep a log of his expenses and who does he can he expense them?
2: I feel like he did say it was half plus expenses or something. So, Mm, like, he's gonna end up charging Dylan six million (laughs) dollars.
0: He's gonna somehow figure out how to like get that extra. So then, really, Dylan only gets like 500 bills. (laughs) 500 bills. You don't even know what I'm talking about. Is that $500 or (laughs) $500,000?
2: Well, I guess we'll find out next week. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Back2Podcast.
0: You can also shoot us an email um, with any of your questions, your comments, your thoughts, your concerns, any of that at
1: Back2Podcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com.
2: And... Don't forget, you can go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe, share it with your friends and family, all sorts of stuff to help us get seen. If you leave us a five-star review, we'll give you a shout out on the pod. That all really helps us and we really appreciate it. So do all those things. And until next week, I'm going to go
1: wear some overalls with months.
0: And I just really want to see one of Brandon's award-winning campfires.
1: I am a uniformly bad hole. Bye. Bye. See ya.